Hey everyone, Taylor here, and you're listening to the Bonfire Briefing Podcast. Today, my guest is the Vice Chair of the Tennessee Libertarian Party and the Libertarian Candidate for Governor in Tennessee, LaMichael Wilson. We talked about ballot access reform, high-speed rail, Roe v. Wade, and more. Hope you guys enjoy the show. All right, we're good to go. Michael Wilson, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Oh yeah, absolutely. The pleasure is all mine. When you um, when you followed the podcast and, and I saw that notification, you know, I saw you were running for governor in Tennessee. I think I told you I'm I'm living in Texas now, but I'm uh, I'm, I'm from Tennessee, and uh, I saw that you were you know libertarian running for governor there. I was like, I've got to get this guy on the podcast. You know, I mean that's that checks a lot of boxes for me, you know, and what I'm looking for, uh, personally, you know, in, um, a governor candidate, of course, I don't live in Tennessee anymore, but, you know, it seemed like we'd be able to have a pretty interesting conversation, I think. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to be able to share, uh, my vision, um, with you and the listeners, uh, as it relates to how we can grow Tennessee, how we can, um, reduce government and and uh, increase the liberties and freedoms of the people that reside in Tennessee, as well as business owners, and various public and private sectors. Yeah, and you know, on that, I kind of wanted to start off just by asking you, you know, I, you know, I did some research on you before you came on, and you've done couple of different things in life, retired pastor, restauranteur. I wanted to know what, uh, and, I, and I know you ran for uh, mayor of Memphis uh, previously in the last cycle. So I was just wondering how, I wanted to hear from you in your words, you know, your, your journey to um, launching this campaign for governor. Um, well, it was never like a life goal to be a politician or to, uh, to run for governor. I did pastor when I was in Chicago, and um, then I came to uh, back to Memphis, which is my hometown, and I started uh, opened my restaurant there. I started my restaurant in 2005 when I left the City Colleges of Chicago, and when I came back to Memphis, I opened in Memphis, and what I saw was uh, a marginalization and disenfranchisement of the people from governmental resources, and um, it was disheartening because individuals who had been elected to uh, raise the floor for the people that live in the city were not doing that. So um, I decided to run for mayor and much of all of the positions that I've ever had, they ultimately have one thing in common and that is being a nurturer. So um, being a pastor at one time, uh, you nurture the people who are your congregants and they attach themselves to the uh, uh, ministry. And um, so I ran for mayor, which is another nur uh, nurturing position. And what made me, what led me to run for governor is once again, the people uh, looking at how many people have been marginalized by state policies uh, that, you know, it, it just seemed to be most apropos to do that. And primarily because as the vice chair of the Libertarian Party of Tennessee, 
we saw the marginalization uh, specifically with us as we're considered to be a minor party. And state law allows Republicans, Democrats, and independents to get ballot access with only 25 signatures. But for libertarians and uh, any other minor party, uh, we're required by law to get 2.5% of the number of people who voted in the last gubernatorial election. So this election cycle, that would have been 56,083 signatures for us to be on the ballot. And uh, what, what that does is it allows people to be able to go to the poll, see on that ballot um, our designated uh, uh, letter, which is the L, and you know what the candidate stands for. As an independent, you really don't know what individuals stand for. So there's a recognizable competition uh, when we have our uh, party affiliation listed. That was one. The other, though, is the duopoly, be the Republicans and the Democrats uh, operate in a, in a capacity to uh, eliminate uh, any type of competitive uh, recognize, recognizable competition. So uh, that then disenfranchises the vote. It, it, uh, it suppresses the vote because individuals may not want to associate themselves with Republican Democrats. And by their option, uh, with their candid, uh, candidate option not being uh, available, then oftentimes they don't uh, engage in the uh, voting process. And that was part of the main reason uh, that I decided to run for governor uh, is that we want to be able to affect ballot access so that all candidates have equal access, not equitable, but equal access, uh, that if it is that the number will be 2.5%, then everybody has to get 2.5%. Or if it's going to be 25 signatures, then all uh, candidates should be able to get 25 signatures for whatever uh, race that they run throughout the entire state. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, too, because when I was uh, doing some research to prepare for this podcast, that was the thing that that blew my mind. I read, uh, I think Liberty Whip had a wrote a Substack article um, about you, and it, it, it laid out exactly what you just did, that independents, Republicans and Democrats only need 25 signatures to get on the ballot. And you had to get, you know, like you said, I think 50, 50 something thousand and that, that blew my mind. I mean, it's, you know, it's obviously, it, well, one, it's obviously unfair. And two, it's obviously something that, you know, like you said, the duopoly that we have between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, you know, it's easy to see why they don't want, you know, the, the Libertarian Party or any other third party candidates gaining any momentum and threatening the structure that, that they've built up. I, I'm, I'm curious, did you, did you know before you ran that you would need to get you know, 50,000 plus signatures to get on the ballot? Or was that something you found out in the process? Yes, uh, very much aware that we would have to get that 56,000 signatures. Um, and part of part of our conversation as a state party was being able to sue the, uh, the state for equal uh, ballot access. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, we believe that it would be advantageous to uh, to show the judge uh, how difficult it is to acquire fifty six thousand signatures. So that was part of the uh, the push 
in running for office is being able to show a judge how difficult it is, how challenging it is to get 56,000 signatures. But um, I, I love competition. So I was in to get the 56,000 and uh, it then puts us in a catch 21 because uh, if we get the 56,000, then a judge could uh, potentially say, well, if you got the signatures, then I don't see what the problem is. So mm. it's still um, problematic though, that uh, no candidate or any candidate that is outside of being a Republican, Democrat, or independent has to jump through hoops and uh, uh, leap over hurdles in order to be able to uh, represent the people that would ideally vote for them. Right. Yeah. And it's, um, I mean, it's especially relevant now in a time where, you know, I, I feel like maybe more people than ever are looking for something other than, you know, a, a Democrat or a Republican, you know, they, they don't feel represented by either party. I'm, I very much so consider myself, uh, in, you know, in that same boat. And, and like you said, you know, with, um, you know, like, yeah, you can run as an independent, but like you said, there's nothing on the ballot that gives people any indication uh, of what you believe, you know, an independent could, that, uh, that could be anybody you know, running exactly. on the ballot. It could be any, any random person that got 25 signatures can run as an independent. You don't know anything about who they are. Exactly, or what they stand for. As a libertarian, uh, and I've had individuals ask me questions about platform and things of that nature. And at the end of the day, my platform aligns itself with the national platform. I have been endorsed to run by the Libertarian Party of Tennessee. So as it relates to uh, certain issues, my my the platform is going to directly uh, mirror what the national party has established for um, our our positions on certain issues and concerns, and uh, beyond that, I believe that the people elect individuals into office so that they can best advocate and um, and structure policies around what it is that they would have. And that's why I believe that more legislation should be done at the local level. Uh, you elect city and county uh, officials. Those are the individuals that should uh, be able to construct the, 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 uh, the legislation for a particular area and not necessarily the state. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I was one, I was curious, um, you know, you're, you're the vice chair of the Libertarian Party uh, there in Tennessee. And, you know, you said, you know, that your platform largely reflects the Libertarian Party as a whole. You know, I'm curious, how did you get into being a Libertarian? I mean, it's, you know, it's, how did you find yourself, you know, exploring Libertarianism? And then, you know, how did that lead you to becoming the vice chair of the state party there? I um, was a libertarian before I knew anything about the Libertarian Party. Mm -hmm. um, I had already formulated my my own belief system. And um, oftentimes what happens is individuals will assume the political affiliation of their household. So I grew up in uh, a Democratic household. People around me were Democrats. Mm -hmm. And um, that's, that is what seemed to be what was supposed to be common. And I did not find my place there. Um, many of the uh, 
the uh, uh, platform items for the Republican Party, I did uh, embrace, but I did not embrace the party. It did not feel comfortable. So once I started looking at other parties and uh, looked at the Green Party and uh, the Libertarian Party, Constitutional Party, and things of that nature, um, I thought that my personal beliefs aligned uh, more with the Libertarian Party because at the end of the day, I just believe in minimum government and more freedoms and liberties given to the people. And that's what the party stands for. Right. And and that's why um, I, I think that, you know, this uh, ballot access reform that you're pushing for is so important because I feel like there are so many people that are in that same boat that that you're in that I'm in. I mean, there's so many people that just don't feel represented by either party. And you know, having libertarian candidates on the ballot, not restricted by these ridiculous uh, laws that are in place, is is really important for people to know who's running. And then you know, people do their own research. People. You know, they, they, they vote for a lot of people vote for the candidate, not necessarily the, you know, the party next to their name. So, I mean, people would be able to look up these libertarian candidates who are running and see that, oh, hey, there is a party that's, you know, speaking up for what what I believe in. You know, like you said, limited government, um, more freedoms, that kind of I mean, that's a, that's a message that resonates with um, with everyone. For sure. I mean, at the end of the day, um it, consumers, individuals, people should be able to make the choices for their lives. Um, I own a restaurant and uh, government will, will make laws or ordinances that uh, dictate what we can and cannot do when at the end of the day, uh, people should be able to make a choice whether they want to patronize a business that um, that either supports what they want or does not. It should not be government legislating that. Um, I always uh, address the analogy or the situation with seatbelt laws. Mm -hmm. We all buy our own cars. Uh, uh, we know that seatbelts can either um, provide safety um, or um, it can provide some safety measures and um, we know we know what the hazards are that are are you know with wear without wearing seatbelts. So, um, but at the end of the day, it is the individual's choice that is in that vehicle to make that decision. Because now what we see is uh, law enforcement officers uh, issuing tickets for not wearing a seatbelt. So there's a penalty for um, not wearing a seatbelt, and oftentimes those penalties are issued in uh, areas of uh, poverty. Some communities have um, a higher poverty. Uh, there are more tickets written in those areas than they are. So it's not equitable um, across the board. And um, But at the end of the day, it should be a decision that the individual wants to make and not be financially pe uh, penalized uh, for that. Same difference with um, I stand for eliminating uh, money bail on certain type of uh, infractions. Uh, we are penalizing individuals for living in poverty. Uh, you know, for a case of minor possession, and you you give an individual a bond of ten thousand dollars. 
they may not be able to afford that. So consequently, they end up staying in jail, staying incarcerated. They lose their jobs. They're not able to provide for their families. And there's absolutely no reason because they put, they pose absolutely no risk to the community or, or, or themselves. And, you know, government needs to step back and allow people to be able to be free to live their lives without the uh, oversight that government is doing. Oh, absolutely. And, and those are two, you know, really great um, examples of where government is, you know, I mean, very clearly overstepping their boundary. And like you said, penalizing people for not being able to afford those tickets and, and that bail. Um, one, one great thing I love about your website, actually, is that when you, you scroll down a little, your website literally has uh, a Venn diagram. And it, it, you know, it shows kind of where you agree with the Democrats, where you agree with the Republicans, and then in the middle kind of more uh, where there's some common ground, more libertarian uh, policies. I'm wondering, you know, as, as you're out campaigning and, you know, really solidifying your message, what are some of the big policies that you're, you're focusing on and, and talking to people um, about? So I am definitely talking about ending no-knock warrants. We've seen law enforcement kicking doors, um, finding themselves in the wrong property, uh, things of that nature. I just believe that there has to be a better way of executing a warrant. Um, so I stand against, uh, no, or the party stands against uh, no warrant, ending eminent domain, uh, ending civil asset forfeiture. We have so many people who are losing their property, uh, oftentimes uh, on uh, uh, egregious charges. And, uh, you know, we need to do better by the people. Uh, I just believe that we can do better. Um, I, I would like to see our district attorneys throughout the entire state not prosecute no victim crimes. If there's no victim, then where's the crime? Because government should only exist to protect the rights and liberties of the people. Um, so if, if the rights and liberties have not been violated or infringed upon, then there's absolutely no need for government to intervene. Um, and then, you know, there are some others where I say there, I call them see the possibility uh, moments where if we see the possibilities of having an intrastate uh, hyperlink uh, 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 transportation system that can connect our major cities quicker than uh, it takes for ground travel and air travel. Uh, I mean, I would love to be able to move from Memphis to Nashville in an hour for lunch or something, or, you know, if somebody lives in Nashville and works in Chattanooga uh, and they don't necessarily have to drive, they could take the uh, Hyperloop and uh, be able to uh, 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 have access to employment opportunities outside of their immediate area. It improves our uh, tourism. You can fly into Nashville and maybe do a concert and then take uh, the uh, transit system to uh, Memphis to do uh, Bill Street. And then it also improves our air quality as we talk about improving uh, environmental justice that, um, you know, we don't have as many cars on the highway and um, uh, having that type of transportation system, transit system would uh, reduce our, uh, our carbon imprint. I mean, there are just so many things that we can be doing that improves the, uh, the, uh, the quality of life in our state for, uh, for everyone. 
Yeah, well, as someone who's driven across uh, Tennessee a number of times from, you know, from Memphis all the way to East Tennessee, I mean, I'd, I'd love to see something like that that would uh, shorten that drive. I mean, my God, oh, it's, for a, sure. it, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a pain in the ass to make if you have to. Um, I mean, what would, what would getting a system, a, a transit system like that uh, look like? I know California uh, wanted to build, I can't remember how many miles of high-speed rail, but it ended up being, you know, as, as everything else in California seems to just a, a massive, massive cost. Um, right. So I believe that when I've never seen anything work when government has put its hands in it, but <laughs> um, I think that what government could do is foster relationships with the private sector to be able to put something like that together uh, to establish it. And I mean, we have, we have the land in between the roads now, as you're driving um, up and down the highway, the land is there to be able to put such a, a system together. Um, and um, I think that we just have to be able to explore those opportunities um, and and not have it be a tax burden on the citizens. Um, I believe in eliminating and reducing taxes and uh, some things we could possibly crowdfund. There are other ways to generate capital and revenues in order to sustain projects rather than always uh, taxing citizens and businesses. Right. There's another issue that's um, been in the news quite a bit the past couple of weeks, um, not not just in Tennessee, but nationwide is uh, Roe v. Wade. It looks like mm -hmm. Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned this summer whenever the Supreme Court, you know, re releases the, the final opinion. Um, and I, I know Bill Lee just recently uh, criminalized uh, abortion pills being distributed via mail. Correct. And there, there's a there, there's some split in the Libertarian Party um, on abortion. You know, there, there, there are quite a few pro-life Libertarians that, um, you know, probably don't mind seeing Roe v. Wade overturned. And there are other uh, Libertarians that, you know, see it as, you know, government intruding where they don't need to be. I was wondering where you fall um, on, on abortion generally, Roe v. Wade overturned. What, what's your opinion there? So at the base, uh, Roe v. Wade gave or gives an individual the choice. And I believe that everyone should have the choice to make whatever decisions for their, for their lives and not government um, um, being involved in those choices. I believe I am pro-family. Let me let me establish that right off the bat. I am pro-family. I am. Um, I don't uh, believe in abortion. That is my personal um, um, belief. Um, at the end of the day, though, I don't believe that government should make the choices for uh, individuals as it relates to their education or their medical. Um, I think that as a pro-family advocate. Those are decisions that families need to be able to make uh, with their medical practitioners, within, uh, within the educational field or whatever is applicable to that issue. Um, so I think that Roe v. Wade should be a state level. Uh, uh, there should be uh, decisions made at the state level as it relates to the choices that individuals will be able to make. And then that allows citizens to be able to move to areas that better, uh, that better 
align with their personal beliefs. I mean, we see it all the time. We see individuals move into communities uh, for better school options. Um, so, you know, if there are some choices that individuals want to make as it relates to their health care, education, or business and things of that nature, then uh, that should be the choice of the individual and not the government. We see individuals make choices to bring their businesses to uh, Tennessee primarily because there's no income tax. So, right. uh, you know, at the end of the day, my position is just always about consumers and individuals having more freedom to make the choices that they need to make. And it is not my place to, to regulate any, any of those choices uh, uh, that people have. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a very fair, very, um, a lot more nuanced than a lot of the takes on uh, a Roe v. Wade that, that you see out, you know, in, in more mainstream news. Uh, and let me also say, though, um, because I know that the time is short, let me also say that um, I find it dis, dis, disheartening uh, that the Supreme Court would somehow leak uh, uh, the, the uh, brief mm -hmm. right the day before the primary. It allows, uh, in my opinion, uh, the, the Republican and Democratic parties to engage their voter base to try to get them to the polls because they recognize that most people vote emotionally and not based upon some research. Um, so I think that that's a manipulation of the people that they're really not concerned about uh, whether it was about being able to have an abortion or not have an abortion or a woman's right to choose. And then I also want to say that it opens the door for more of a cons uh, uh, of, of the cons conversation around the rights of trans uh, individuals and how uh, legislation will probably be forthcoming as it relates to them being able to uh, have medical procedures to better align, in their opinion, with with the way that they live their lives. Um, I think that government, uh, that the Republicans and Democrats are playing with with um, that type of situation to make sure that they can um, provide oversight into those type of choices. But where does it stop? Will it will it stop where interracial couples are having uh, having a child and government decides that we don't want to have uh, mixed babies or, and, and, and things of that nature. Government should not be involved in making those type decisions. Those should be decisions that families make. And um, we need to uh, start looking at electing individuals into office who are genuinely concerned about advancing um, uh, the concerns of the people organically and, and raising the floor for the people who have been marginalized and giving them back their freedoms and, um, and, and stop government from infringing upon their rights. Oh, I, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I, I, I think that's, I mean, that's definitely crucial. It has to be a part of the conversation going forward about how, you know, both parties are, are, are guilty in that. And our, our, our time is short here. We have to wrap up here soon. I just want to kind of close out by asking, how is the campaign trail going? I know I saw you had a, uh, an event in Knoxville it looked like a pretty good crowd. And then I know, I think afterwards you guys went out and ate lunch and, or, or dinner or whatever, and, you know, continued the conversation, man, how has uh, the campaign trail been treating you and what's on the, what's on the horizon for the Wilson for governor campaign? 
so the campaign trail has been extremely um excellent people have been welcoming uh, we're finding that individuals are frustrated with their elected officials and they're looking for something different. And um, they they are embracing the campaign. Um, the challenge is just being able to get out and be more engaged with everyone um, and sharing that message. That is the, the biggest challenge of crossing the state um, and doing that with limited resources. So we're constantly uh, working to raise uh, monies uh, to support the campaign and not to have a big war chest, but to be able to just afford the things that we need in order to be effective uh, and competitive. Um, yes, we did go and we uh, we ate afterwards and then we went and smoked cigars at um, the cigar lounge that was right across the street, I believe in supporting small businesses throughout the state. And um, whenever we have an opportunity to engage in small businesses and support them, that's what I uh, plan to do around the state and bring attention to some of the businesses and encourage individuals to support them if they're in the area. Um, um, we have uh, a lot of things uh, in 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 um, in be that are being planned. I think the biggest is going to be July second. We're in the process of planning a launch for the campaign in Murfreesboro, and um, hopefully we can have information out more information about that uh, in the next couple of weeks, so that individuals can um, come to Murfreesboro and connect and get engaged, and hopefully we can um, go from there. As we talk about ballot access. Mm -hmm. I'll be very clear about it is that I was the only out of all of our candidates that are running most many all of them have uh, submitted their paperwork as independents I was the only one that submitted my paperwork as a libertarian and as uh, as such the uh, the uh, establishment has moved to invalidate my signatures uh, so that I would not be on the uh, on the ballot, but that does not stop me from running because we're pushing a write-in uh, campaign right now. And it is the largest write-in campaign that this state would have ever seen. We are going to all 95 counties to submit our paperwork so that individuals who write my name in their, their, uh, their, cap, their ballot cast will be accepted. And um, we're connecting with everybody around the state. I am excited about it. And I look forward to being the next governor of the great state of Tennessee. Man, I'm excited about it too. I'm real excited to see where it goes. And if anyone listening wants to support you and your campaign with a donation, you can go to lamichaelwilson.com and donate there on the website. Um, whenever you do nail down the details for that Murfreesboro, Murfreesboro event, let me know so I can help blast that out, man. I'm excited to see where the campaign goes and you know, what it has in store for you and, 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 you know, follow your journey as the general election approaches. And, and just want to say, you know, really uh, appreciative that you came on the show today. I'm glad we had this conversation. Thank you for having me. All right. We'll have you back anytime, man. Really glad uh, that we finally got this done. Thanks for being on. Thank you. All right. Have a good one. All right. You too. Bye. Bye. That was my conversation with LaMichael Wilson, Libertarian candidate for governor of Tennessee and the vice chair of the Tennessee Libertarian Party. I'm really glad we got to talk in depth about ballot access reform because when I read about LaMichael's situation, it blew my mind. It's bullshit that Democrats, Republicans, and independents only need 25 ballot signatures, but LaMichael needed over 50,000. But anyway, if you liked what you heard from LaMichael on this episode, Please consider supporting his campaign for governor with a donation at lamichaelwilson.com. Hope you guys enjoyed the show.